greet each one of you this evening, evening in the precious and worthy name of Jesus. Thank you, Lee, and your group for singing this evening. I appreciate that. It was a blessing and wish you God's blessing for that. I also want to express appreciation for the snacks that have appeared in our vehicle Monday evening and Tuesday evening. Um, my sons look forward to coming to church. I should say they look forward to going home from church. I mean, that's a better accurate description. Uh, the uh, Digging through the basket and finding out that what's in the snack basket. They've thoroughly enjoyed that. We've all thoroughly enjoyed it. So we appreciate that very much. God bless you for that. The story is told of two, young, or two men, not young men, two men that were terminally ill in a hospital. And they shared the same hospital room. And um, the story does not give the names of the two men, but uh, one of the men, their bed was by the window. And so I decided to call him Walter since he's by the window. And the other man, his bed was by the door. So we'll call him Donald. So Donald and Walter, they shared the same hospital room. They were both terminally ill. And uh, Walter, he uh, would, every now and then, he would prop himself up and he'd look out the window. And as he was looking out the window, he would describe to Donald, who couldn't see out the window, what he was seeing outside of the hospital. And one day he described, he said, there's a park across the road. And he said, there's children playing in the park. And he says, oh, look, there's a family coming. And it looks like they're having a birthday party. And he described in great detail all that he saw out the window. Another time he propped himself up and he looked out the window and he said, oh, there's a parade happening outside on the road outside the hospital room here. And he described all the different floats and everything else that was going on outside the window. He described it in great detail for Donald as he laid there and wasn't able to look out the window. This went on several days, weeks, for quite a while, where Walter would look out the window and would describe to Donald what was going on outside the window. Something started to happen in Donald's heart in his mind, he started to feel jealous of Walter. It's like, it's not fair that Walter has the window side of the room, and he gets to look outside and see what's going on. This, this isn't fair. Why does he get to have the window? And I'm stuck here by the door just observing the hallway traffic of the hospital. Every now and then, Walter would have these episodes where he'd have seizures, and uh, he would go into a seizure, and if Donald didn't press the button for the nurse to come, Walter would be in trouble. And uh, one night, Walter went into a seizure, and Donald said, you know what? It's my turn for the window. Let Walter fend for himself. And he didn't push the button for the nurse to come, and Walter died. Donald waited appropriate time till he thought it was safe to say something to the nurse. He said, hey, would it be possible, since Walter died, would it be possible that I could be moved over to the window side, that I could see out the window? And the nurse said, sure, we can do that. And so they moved the bed, they moved the bed over to the window side, and Donald waited till the nurse left, and with all his energy and all his strength, he propped himself up, and he looked out the window, and he just saw a wall another part of the hospital, another building part of the hospital. And he was confused. He said to the nurse, when the nurse came back, he said, I don't understand. He said, when Walter was here, he'd look out this window and he'd see all kinds of amazing stuff that he described to me in great detail. And the nurse said, that's not possible. Walter was blind. He couldn't see anything. And we wonder, we think about that, we think, how could Donald allow that emotion of jealousy to take over his heart to where he was okay with doing nothing and letting Walter die. 
Turn with me to Genesis chapter 37. Maybe you've seen the, the, the terrible effects that jealousy has played in a family or in a relationship or in something where they are just ripped apart because somebody in that relationship is jealous or there's a, a settling of a will or an estate at the passing of a family of, of a father and mother and the family is just torn apart because it's not fair. This person got more than I did and it's not fair that they got this and they got that and they're ripped apart by jealousy. We're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 37 this evening, and we're going to be looking at the side effects of jealousy as suffered by Joseph at the hand of his brothers. And I hope that as we go throughout this evening, as we look at what Joseph suffered, we would notice the side effects of the root problem of jealousy, and it would motivate us to ensure that jealousy is not a part of our life, that jealousy is not a part of our heart. We do not allow it to take root. Genesis chapter 37, verses 1, 2, and 3. And and Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Verse 3. Now Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was a son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. This is the very beginning of, of uh, the, where Joseph is talked about in their family, in his family lineage in Genesis chapter 37. But I'd like to reflect back just a little bit of Joseph's family history. His father was Jacob, and maybe you already have heard it explained that Jacob's name means deceiver. Jacob had a twin, Esau. We know that Jacob and Esau, they were twins. Jacob tricked Esau out of his birthright. Because of that, he fled. He fled to his uncle Laban. And while he was there with Laban, he fell in love with Rachel, for whom he worked for seven years to have the permission to marry. So young men, think about that. You identify the woman you want to marry, and then you go and work for her father for seven years. Doesn't that sound appealing? They're just looking at me like, are you crazy? <laughs> that's, what Joseph, uh, that's what Joseph's father, Jacob, had to go through. But then on his wedding day, we know the story, he's tricked and he marries Rachel's older sister, less beautiful sister, Leah. He also later on, right after that, marries Rachel and works another seven years for Laban. Now Leah was able to have children, but Rachel for many years was barren and did not have children. And this caused much ten- tension in the home. Then late in life, Rachel bore two children, Joseph being the first one, and Benjamin. And she died in childbirth of giving birth to Benjamin. Now since Rachel was Jacob's favorite wife, those two sons were Jacob's favorite children, which we see coming out here in verse 3. that Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many, many colors. Now, one of the things we have to realize here is that Joseph, as all of us, didn't get to choose the family that he was born into. He had no option of choosing the family he was born into. He had no no choice in the history that was brought into him, brought with him when he was born. He had no choice in that. This was the, the, the hand that he drew, which set his life up for misery, as we'll see here this evening. And we come to verse 4 in Genesis chapter 37. Verse 4, And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all the brethren, they hated him. 
That's a strong word. They hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. I don't know if Jacob realized that while he loved Joseph the most of all the children, his actions were actually very unloving to Joseph because he set up the family against Joseph because of that special love that he had. His brothers hated him. They could not speak one kind word to him. Jealousy that was in their hearts because of how they felt their brother was being treated better than they were, and he was, was being treated better than they were. Jealousy took hold, and they hated him. They couldn't speak one kind word to him. The definition of jealousy, just so we know what we're talking about, it says that passion, a peculiar uneasiness, which arises from the fear that a rival may rob us of the affection of one whom we love, or the suspicion that he has already done it. Or it is the uneasiness which arises from the fear that another does or will enjoy some advantage which we desire for ourselves. Jealousy is awakened by whatever may exalt others or give them pleasure or an advantage or advantages which we desire for ourselves. This is a definition taken from the Webster Dictionary of jealousy. It's that emotion within us. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 34 says, For jealousy is the rage of a man. Now think about that verse. Jealousy is a rage, is the rage of a man. Therefore, he will not spare in the day of vengeance. And we're going to come back to that verse later on in the, in the life of Joseph here in the first part, or in the chapter 37 of Genesis. Song of Solomon, verse 8, chapter 8, verse 6 says, Set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm, for love is as strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which hath a most vehement flame. You get the picture here, the emotion of jealousy being very powerful, being very strong, being very dangerous, very destructive. So as we go through the chapter 37 here of Genesis, as we see what happens to Joseph, very familiar story, we want to note four side effects. And I'm calling them side effects because jealousy is the root problem. But how they are manifested, how it is manifested, is helpful to us so that we can spot what are the side effects of jealousy and ensure that jealousy is not taking a hold in my life, is not taking a hold in my heart. First side effect I want to think about is the side effect of damaging words. And we see this in Genesis chapter 37, verse 4. His brethren, when they saw that his brethren, that his father loved him more than all the brethren, they hated him, and they could not speak peaceably unto him. They could not speak peaceably unto him. Think about that. Joseph's brothers were very aware of the preferential treatment that Joseph was getting. They understood what was going on. Jacob, as a father, made no hiding, made no bones of hiding it. It was very obvious that Joseph was the favorite. And this, this breeded jealousy in his brother's heart. And they couldn't speak peaceably to him at all. I can't imagine that household. I can't imagine living in that household where the unkind words, the barbs, the jabs, the cutting remarks, the continual tearing of Joseph down, tearing him down, was going on continually. Just continued to flow. Those damaging words continuing to come out of his brothers. Then in the midst of that, we have where Joseph has these dreams. Verse 7, verse 8. 
actually backing up in, in verse 5, it starts where he had these dreams. And he has, he has the nerve, Joseph has the nerve to go and tell his brothers these dreams that he has. To explain to them what he dreamt. And I don't, I don't know what was going on in Joseph's mind as he told them these dreams. I mean, clearly it forecasted, it seemed to foretell that something was going to happen where he was going to rule over them. So I don't know if, if he thought, well, maybe if I tell them, they'll lay off because they'll get, a, get the clue that something's going to happen sometime and I'm going to be in charge over them. Maybe they'll back off. It didn't work. It says they hated him all the more because of the dreams. They hated him all the more. And I can just imagine that as he told those dreams, just all the more the words that they spoke to him, the way that they spoke to him was all the more helpful. The side effect, I'm sorry, all the more hurtful, not helpful. The side effect of damaging words is something that we need to watch out for because it's an indicator of jealousy in our hearts. And what I'm thinking of, what I'm thinking of, of, of damaging words is when you hear of somebody else getting something that you would desire and what pops out of your mouth is they don't deserve that. Why did he get that promotion at work? I work way harder than him. He doesn't deserve that. It's not fair. Jealousy. I want the promotion. How did, how did she get a guy like that? How is she dating a guy like that? He, doesn't, he deserves better than her. Jealousy and damaging words are flowing out. I bet he is just wallowing in debt with that fancy new truck he got and those massive rims that are so chromed out. He's got to have tons of debt. There's no way he can afford that. The damaging words that are flowing because of jealousy in the heart. Remember, jealousy is awakened, the definition said, is awakened by whatever may exalt others and give them pleasure or advantages which we desire for ourselves. This is something that I think is very real that we struggle with. I struggle with. I observe, we're all observant when somebody drives a nicer vehicle than I do, lives in a bigger house than I do, has a nicer property than I do. Those feelings of jealousy arise. And the the snide comments or the the thoughts that, that start to find their way out of our mouth because we're jealous. They're damaging. They're dangerous. And we need to make sure that we take care of the root problem of jealousy. Not just filter the mouth, not just make sure the thoughts stay in where we keep them hidden, but that we take care of the root problem of jealousy because it moves on. It moves on from there to the next side effect. I guess I forgot to put those verses up. Moves on to the next side effect of disillusioned thinking. And we see this in Joseph's brothers in Genesis chapter 37, verses 12 through 22. In verses 12 through about 17, Joseph's brothers head off. They take the flocks of their father and they head off to Shechem. And they're pasturing their flocks. And then they move on to Dotham. Jacob, for some reason, Joseph isn't with them. Jacob sends Joseph out to check on them. Now, I don't know what Jacob is thinking in all this because clearly there is problems here. There's animosity between these brothers And he keeps Joseph back and then sends him out to check on them. Joseph comes and he finds them and observe the thinking, observe the conversation that takes place between his brothers as they see him coming in Genesis chapter 37, beginning at verse 18. 
And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. Think of the thought process that is going on, the disillusioned thinking that has taken place. And they said one to another, Behold, the dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit, and we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him. And we shall see what shall become of his dreams. And Reuben, the oldest, heard it and delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand on him, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to their father again. How is it that these brothers came to the place where it seemed like a logical conclusion to kill their very own brother? How were their minds so twisted that this seemed like a good solution? Here they are out in the middle of nowhere, out in the midst of the the wilderness, I don't know, whatever, pasture land, nobody around. Here comes Joseph, and it seems like the practical, the logical thing to do to go ahead and to kill their brother. Jealousy had gripped their hearts, had gripped their hearts in a very real way, and they thought it was practical, they thought it was logical to get rid of Joseph, to kill him. Remember I said back there in the beginning of Proverbs chapter 6, verse 34. It says, For jealousy is the rage of a man, therefore he will not spare in the day of vengeance. The rage of Joseph's brothers was obvious. The rage of Joseph's brothers was obvious, and their day of vengeance had come, and they were not going to spare. Jealousy is a destructive emotion. Very destructive and very damaging. Their thoughts as brothers had totally spun out of control. Where it seemed like a logical, it seemed like a practical thing to do to get rid of their brother, to kill him, to murder him. Just, it just boggles my mind to think about that. How they could rest upon that, how they could settle upon that and so flippantly talk about this as a practical solution. What about, what about in our hearts? What about in our lives? What is the disillusioned thinking that comes our way when jealousy has gripped our hearts? Maybe sometimes you've been in conversation with somebody, and it seems they're a master at taking any good deed, any kind word, and twisting it to somehow make the person look bad that said it or did it. They're always looking to tear this person down, always looking to pull them down. Maybe, maybe you've felt that emotion that when you hear of something that befalls somebody, there, there's a calamity or something happens, and the thought pops through your head of, well, they deserved that. They had that coming. If you wouldn't take so much risk in business, you wouldn't lose so much. That's kind of what happens. That disillusioned thinking, like for some reason we're actually half glad that a calamity befell somebody or came their way. Disillusioned thinking that's at the heart of it is jealousy that has gripped us and made us think that they deserve that. They are owed that. Disillusioned thinking moves from damaging words to disillusioned thinking and devastating actions with Joseph's brothers. This is why I believe it is very important that we are keenly aware and catch jealousy because it's a progression as it moves and as it grows and as it grips our hearts. Joseph's brothers in verse 23 
It says, And it came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and they cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread and they lifted up their eyes and, be, and looked. And behold, a company of the Ishmaelites from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content. Then there passed by Midianite merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for twenty pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt. I don't know if... Joseph's brother's plan was that well rehearsed that they wanted, they knew they wanted the coat for later proof for their father, or if that was just such a visual reminder of their father's preferential treatment to Joseph. That, that was the first thing they went after. They stripped him of his coat. They grabbed him and they stripped him of his coat. And I think about it oftentimes when we struggle with jealousy, it seems there's something in particular that has caught our attention. Something, some advantage that we have perceived that this person has that has caught our attention, be it that they live in a better house, they drive a nicer vehicle, they have a better job, they have more land. I don't know what it might be. And that's what bugs us. That's what continually comes up and we go back to as kind of our justification for why we can talk this way or think this way about them. For Joseph and his brothers, it was that coat of many colors that was a symbol of their father's Love for Joseph over his brothers. They, they tore that off of him and they threw him in the, in the pit. And I, I just fascinated as well by the matter-of-fact way that the scripture goes about it. Talking about it. Verse 24 there it says, in verse 24 and 25 it says, They took him, they cast him in the pit, it was empty, there was no water, and they sat down to eat bread. It's like this is just some experience. We're hungry now, it's lunchtime. We've just roughed up our brother. We've just tossed in the pit. We're not sure what we're doing with him yet. Might kill him, might sell him. Don't know, but I have an appetite now. Just that matter-of-fact way. I, I think it shows us how hardened and how twisted Joseph's brothers were. How jealousy has so twisted their hearts, has so gripped their hearts. That it was just, this was just a practical, logical thing to do. was to get rid of Joseph. But they choose not to kill him. Verse 26, it says they choose not to kill him. They decide to sell him. But as I really think about it, I'm not sure which is the better option. Because Judah says there in verse 26, he says, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? In other words, in his mind, this is putting it in my thought process, in his mind, Joseph is already dead. In his heart, he has maybe in his mind murdered Joseph, killed Joseph over and over. And Joseph is an already dead person in his mind. So, here's actually an opportunity to get some money out of the deal. We can sell him. To me, he is already dead, and if I just leave him die, I get nothing because I've already took care of him in my mind. Or, we can sell him and get some money out of the deal. I don't know if that's a better thing or not. keeps Joseph alive, so that's a, that's a good thing in that regard. But their twisted thinking, their disillusioned thinking, led them to think that it was better. This is just a piece of property, and rather than just destroy it and get nothing, it's better to sell it and at least get something out of the deal. Their devastating actions that these brothers worked through, went through with, is terrible. I can't imagine... 
how they lived with that for years on end. I can't imagine how they went on throughout life knowing what they had done with Joseph. I can't imagine the, the weight that they bared bore in their minds and in their hearts of knowing what they had done. And I think if we, glance, if we were to glance ahead, actually jump ahead with me to Genesis chapter 42. Just to get a picture, this is down the road further, which maybe we'll touch on tomorrow evening as we're going to be back with Joseph again tomorrow evening. If we jump ahead to Genesis chapter 42, verses 21, 22, and 23. This is after the famine has hit. The famine has come. We, we know the story. And Joseph's brothers come to buy corn in Egypt. They don't realize that they're before Joseph. But look, and this is the first time they come and Joseph is treating them harshly. He's accusing them of being spies and is not being very cooperative with them. But look at what is running through their minds as they are facing this traumatic experience of being before the ruler. They're hungry. They want food. And they're being treated roughly. Verse 21, it says, And they said to one another, We are verily guilty concerning our brother. They had no idea that they were before Joseph. They had no idea where they were. But this is what comes to their mind with the troubles that they were experiencing. We are verily guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. And Reuben answered and said, saying, Spake I not unto you, saying, Do not sin against this child, against the child, and ye would not hear? Therefore, behold, his blood is required. And they knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter. I wonder if every bad thing, every trouble spot, every rough bump in the road that these brothers hit, if right away what came to their mind is, We are owed this because of what we did to Joseph. This is what came to their minds as they were in Egypt trying to buy corn and were having a rough time. We are owed this because of what we did to Joseph. That was on the top of their minds, on the tip of their forehead. On the, that was in the forefront of their minds. We are owed this. It shows the weight that their actions bore, that they bore throughout life. Because they did not get a hold of jealousy and get rid of it, but they allowed it to fester. And now they were reaping the consequences of it. Damaging words. I apologize, I'm not keeping up my slides here. Damaging words leads to disillusioned thinking, leads to devastating actions. Well, then you have to cover it up. Going back to Genesis chapter 37, you have to cover it up. So now that Joseph is sold on his way with the Ishmaelite caravan, back in Genesis chapter 37 there, verses 31 through the end of the chapter, they took Joseph's coat, they killed a goat of the kids and dipped the blood in the coat, dipped the coat in the blood, and sent the coat of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it, and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, For I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Verse 36, And the Midianites sold him, and the Midianites sold him Joseph, into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's, and a captain of the guard. They had to cover it up. They had done something terrible. 
They took that coat, they dipped it in blood, they sent it back to their father, and they said, is this Joseph's? They knew full well it was Joseph. They, they knew it was very obvious whose it was. But they had to cover it up. They had to lie and cover it up. When you find yourself at the place of having done or said something that you need to cover it up, take look, take a careful look of why did that take place? Why did that happen? I can't, I can't imagine the stress in the lives of, the, of these men as they had to fake, they had to somehow act like they were sad for Joseph being gone. They had to try and comfort their father. And I can imagine there's probably some frustration as it says in verse 35 that says all his sons and daughters, they tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. He did not want to move on. He was mourning his son, his favorite son, and his brothers had to cover that up and act like they were sorry as well, act like they were sorrowful that Joseph was gone. They had to live a lie continually because of their actions. Do we notice the progression that we see with Joseph? It starts with hating him, with those damaging words. It starts with their disillusion. It goes on to their disillusioned thinking. It goes on to devastating actions. And then they have to deliberately lie and cover it up. All because jealousy had taken root in their heart. All because they had allowed that dangerous, that devastating emotion of jealousy to grab hold of their hearts and to root there. I know that's not something that we want to experience. I know that's not something that you want to have as part of your life. And so I like to think here in closing about how do we get rid of jealousy? How do we root it out? How do we ensure that jealousy is not a part of our lives? And it's an emotion that I think that we have taught in our children from little on up that it's wrong. That we, you, you can't act that way. You can't take your brother's toy and smash it the day after he gets it on his birthday. That's not right. And we do well at teaching our children, but sometimes I fear that we do well at teaching how to mask it, how to keep it hidden. But we allow it to fester in our hearts, and we allow it to be there and to take root. And every now and then it slips out. Every now and then it comes up where we wrestle with it in our minds, or we have these conversations in our minds of how it's not fair. It's not right that they get that. It's not right that she has this, and it's not fair that I can't do that. And we're jealous of the other person. We need to get rid of that with contentment. We need to be content with what God has chosen for us. We need to understand that God has put together a plan, which is what we're going to go into tomorrow night with Joseph. God has put together a plan specifically for you. And we need to rest in that, that God has chosen this for me. God has brought this my way for a purpose and for a reason. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6 say, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. I think if Joseph could have had the New Testament, he would have committed this verse to memory. He would have committed this verse to memory because he went through some tremendous, horrific things in life. And to be able to claim it and say that God will never leave me, this is what God has planned for me. God will never leave me. The Lord is my helper. What a powerful verse. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6, 7, and 8 say, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and, we can, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Contentment in what God has for you 
rids us of jealousy. Resting in that God has chosen this for me. Resting in that this is what God has brought to me. I am content with what God has given to me. Is how we get rid of jealousy. As we come to a close here this evening, I encourage you to take a look in your heart. Listen to your conversations in your mind. Listen to those maybe critical thoughts that come out. Look at your reaction when you hear about somebody else that has prospered, somebody else that has gained something wonderful. What is that gut reaction that you feel when you hear that a brother's business is doing tremendously well here in COVID or in this time of year, doing tremendously well? When you hear that somebody has got a promotion at work and is being able to advance and is doing very well. When you hear that something wonderful has happened to somebody, what's that reaction within you? Is it a reaction of rejoicing? That's wonderful. Or is it a reaction of, well, that's not fair. How can that be? And jealousy starts to fester. Jealousy starts to take hold. Be on guard against it. It is a dangerous, it is a powerful emotion as Proverbs 6 Powerful emotion, as Proverbs 6.34 said, it is the rage of man, and it will consume. And we must be on guard. We must get rid of it and be content with what God has given us, what God has brought to us. So I encourage you to look inwardly, to look inwardly at what, at what, what your heart says when you hear what somebody else has prospered, when somebody else has gotten something wonderful, and find contentment in what God has chosen for you.